When I was eight years old, my brother, who was around 20, called the entire family into this tiny living room. So I scooshed up next to my mom, and my dad sat on the other side of her on our little couch. And he told all of us that he was going to marry his girlfriend. Well, my dad looked at him. He was a Sicilian and a career military man, and he said, Are you willing to die for her? My brother said, yes, of course. Well, my dad rose to his feet, took his full frame, walked in front of my mother, threw out his chest, put his arms back, and he said, no, are you willing to die for her? If someone was going to shoot your mama, I would stand in front of her, I would block the shooter, I would take the bullet, and I would die for your mama. Would you do that? her. My brother hung his head, looked at the floor, and shook it. No, he said, barely above a whisper. We were Italians, Sicilians, Sicilians. My parents were first-generation American, and there were some odd things about my aunts and uncles. Really odd, because I was raised completely outside of that culture. My aunts both had arranged marriages from the time they were infants in their mother's arms. So my first aunt went off to Sicily, got on a ship, sailed away to marry the man that my grandfather had promised her for. And she went through with that marriage. My second aunt, the baby of the family, when she became of age, her parents stuck her on the ship to sail her off. But little did they know that my dad and his two brothers, my uncles, would tell her, look, if you don't like this guy, don't do it. Don't marry him. So the baby, you know, the baby is always used to being spoiled, right? She gets over there. She meets the guy. She doesn't like him. And she knows if she comes back, to America without a husband, she's history. Because grandfather was not going to put up with that. So she hastily found a man that she could marry and bring him back to where, that someone she liked apparently, and, because she stayed with him until they both died many years later on the same hospital floor a week apart. I grew up with this career military Sicilian regimented man. And when I was a young teenager, about 13, my dad, you all are teenagers like to sit over here. My dad, I'm in the back of this giant 1970 Impala, and we're riding down the road. Do you all know those cars? Remember those cars if you're my age? They float. They don't ride. And so we're floating down the road, and my dad looks at me, his eyes through the rearview mirror so he can lock on me. He says, listen, when you get married, you're going to marry a man who can provide for you. You know, so you don't have it, you aren't wanting for anything. That's who you're going to marry. I'm thinking, he's trying to marry me off to a Marine. I am not marrying a Marine. So we're floating down the road, and I said, dad... When I get married, 
I'm going to marry for love. I'm going to love my husband. Nothing about whether or not he's got a job or can provide for me. I'm going to love him. I'm going to marry him because I love him. My dad didn't really like that answer. We won't go into anything about what he said after that. But what I've since learned is that love isn't measured by the things that I thought it was as a child or as a teenager. And that I really didn't get my mind around love until I came to know the Lord. And further in my walk with the Lord, I learned that in order for me to understand love, I had to look at how did Jesus love the people that he was with. He's our example for love. He is our example. And I can tell you that when Marietta and I were getting ready to get married, when I, actually before I asked her, we were a little bit older, and I certainly asked Tony. I called him. Tony, can I marry your daughter? So, anyway, we've been uh, walking through the Gospel of John for over 40 weeks now. And um, I just want to read one, or tell you one verse at the end of the Gospel of John. John ends his Gospel with this kind of a amazing statement. At least it's amazing to me. He says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written line by line, I suppose the entire world could not contain the books that would be written. Then he says, Amen. And so I look at that, and John is supposing these things. And when I think about that, I suppose that everything that Jesus did, everything that would be contained in those books, would be an act of love demonstrated. Everything that we saw Jesus do for the disciples everything that we saw Jesus do for those around him, everything that we are seeing Jesus do even today for us is literally an act of love. Jesus showed us how to love people in so many ways. He showed us how to to encourage people. And so he encouraged people and he, he taught people and he preached and he spent time with people. The Gospels are full of examples of how Jesus showed us to love. So in the interest of time here, certainly we can't use all of the examples. We're just going to pick out four examples of how Jesus loved us. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is that Jesus literally allowed people to serve him. It's a difficult concept for some of us in this room to be served by others. But Jesus shows us how that we can be served. In Matthew chapter 3, we see that Jesus goes to John the baptizer. And John says, no, no, Jesus, I can't be baptizing you. You're Jesus. And Jesus says, it is permissible. And then allows John to baptize him. And then later on in that same gospel... The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, we see Jesus and the disciples, and they go to Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law is in the house, and she's sick. 
And Jesus reaches out and he touches her. And he heals her. And she immediately raises up. And she serves Jesus and the disciples in that very house where he's, where he's touched her. And one of the best examples of Jesus allowing himself to be served is in Capernaum at the end of the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, Jesus and the disciples are in Capernaum and, and Simon the Pharisee invites them to dinner. And Jesus goes. And a sinful woman, that is, in Bible speak, a sinful woman, in Bible speak, a prostitute, comes, and she's seen Jesus teaching. And she makes her way into that Pharisee's house, and she sits at Jesus' feet, and she pours out her alabaster flask, and she anoints him, and she begins to cry as he looks at her, and begins to talk to the Pharisees about who she is and how much she's been forgiven. And she takes and she lets her hair down and she begins to wash his feet and dry them with her hair. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of being served. And sometimes one of the most difficult things for us in terms of expressing love is to allow us, ourselves, to be served. I'm talking to the men in particular in here. So, I have a hard time with that, saying yes when I need help. Someone asks me, and it's obvious I need some help. The words that come out of my lips aren't yes. It's usually no, and I'm sure that there are many of you like that in this room. One time when we were in California or in Arizona, um, Greg and I were newly married. We lived in a house on a postage-sized lot cut in half. It was really tiny. Our lawn could fit in the drum cage. So Greg was going to mow the lawn while I did some work in the garage. And parked in the driveway was my company van. So I'm in the garage working, and I hear Greg start, try to start this little lawnmower. And it, ne- it doesn't start up. It sputters and spits, and he tries several times. And then the afternoon became very quiet. There wasn't any noise. And I fleetingly thought there might be a problem, but I thought, you know, I married this really great guy. He's really smart. He'd yell at me if there were a problem, right? So <clears throat> I'm continuing my work in the garage, and all of a sudden I hear this, in the world is that it kind of scared me so I went down the short driveway that was almost as long as a van not quite and I got to the end of the van and I looked around and there on the black top of the street was Greg laying on his back his knees bent and he the noise I was hearing was was his feet as he was pushing himself across the blacktop and the was his shoulders as he was walking the rest of his body. His knee was tore open, blood everywhere, and I ran to him and I said, oh my goodness, do you need some help? And he said, no. (laughs) But aren't we all like that? We need some help. And someone comes to our, wants to be there to help us, 
And we're, nope, we could do it ourselves because that's how we were taught. Do it yourself. That's right. So one of the ways that we can obviously love people is allow them to serve us. Another way that we can love people and, and, and the, what Jesus showed us to do is we can serve other people as well, as well. The Gospels are full of accounts of Jesus serving people. As a matter of fact, he said that he came to serve. He came to serve. And so in Matthew 14 and, and, and then again in Matthew 15, very quickly we see two instances of Jesus looking out on the multitudes where they're out in the wilderness. And, and, and he looks out and, and the accounts say that he looks out with compassion on the multitudes and he worries about whether or not they have something to eat. And then he takes it upon himself to serve those thousands of people in Matthew 14 and 15, back to back. Make sure that they have something to eat. And then a few months ago, I preached a message from John 13. And in John 13, we see this, this, this instance, which is amazing to me, of, of Jesus with the disciples at the in the upper room at the last, I'm sorry, in, at the Last Supper, and, and Jesus gets up from the table and goes around the table and literally washes the feet of all of the disciples. A beautiful story of the servant heart of Jesus and a beautiful story of an active expression of love by Jesus. <clears throat> this is a picture of Zach Hunter when he was about 12 years old. Zach had been on a study project for Black History Month, and he had learned about slaves and abolitionists, and he found his heart drawn to those people that suffered during that time. And so he wished he had been born during that period of our, our country's history so that he could have been an abolitionist. Well, he wasn't. And he, but he learned that we still had slaves all over the world today, people who were being sex trafficked and people who were uh, paid less than desirable wages and less than desirable conditions people who were used for forced labor. So he decided that he was going to serve these people that he didn't know by starting a ministry called Loose Change for to loosen chains. And so he raised money at school and at his church to to help promote help free people from slavery as it exists in our world today. I got to believe that this young man, who's in his 20s now, I've got to believe that he had parents that he saw, he patterned, he watched, that served each other and served the community. Because how else would a 12-year-old come to the conclusion that he needed to do something to help the world be a better place to serve people? Another way that Jesus, and this is really important, 
another way that Jesus showed people, shows people that he loves them is that he forgives people. He forgives people. If you're in a marriage right now, this is one of the keys. If you come to the class beginning in April, you're going to hear a lot about forgiveness. That's for sure. But getting back to the account that I was telling you about earlier in Luke chapter 7, the sinful woman, one of the things that happens there that is really interesting to me is that Jesus, as as the woman anoints him, and washes his feet and dries his feet, he turns to the Pharisees and they're having this big dialogue about how bad she is. What is she doing here? And Jesus sets Simon straight. It's an awesome dialogue. You need to read it. And then he turns to the Pharisees and he says, this woman's sins are forgiven. And then in an interesting twist which just blows me away, he turns and he looks at the woman, the sinner that is at his feet. And that's really a good place for sinners to be. But he looks at her and he says, Woman, your sins are forgiven. Very directly. We talked about John chapter 21, the end of the Gospel of John earlier. And there's a neat story there where the disciples... After Jesus has gone away, the disciples say, well, what are we going to do? Guess we'll go fishing. Going to go fishing. So a number of the disciples go out and they do what they know to do. They return to their trade. They don't know what else to do. They are the ones that have denied Jesus. They've denied Jesus. And Jesus comes to them on the edge of the lake. He calls out to them and says, do you have any fish? Bring them here. He's already got the campfire started. And in an amazing act, act of forgiveness, he cooks the disciples breakfast and has a wonderful dialogue with the disciples after he cooks them breakfast. An action of forgiveness that we all need to emulate. This is a picture of Chris Carrier. Chris was 10 years old in 1974, living in Florida. He was abducted five days before Christmas, walking home from school, two houses from his home. He was abducted and stabbed repeatedly with an ice pick. Then he was driven out to an area called Alligator Alley in Florida. And it it has a reason for its name. There, still conscious, believing his captor, who told him, I'm going to call your dad and your dad's going to come and pick you up. Just stay right here. He turned to look away as his captor took a gun, placed it against his temple, and pulled the trigger. The gunshot caused a double concussion, severed the nerve to his, one of his eyes, and Chris was out. When Chris came to, he was alone. It was late afternoon, 
And the first thought on his mind was, my father is going to come and get me. And he may not see me sitting 30 feet off the road. So I'm going to go to the road and sit on a rock. And that's where he headed. Blind in one eye, still still having blood on him, his head, his body. Only what Chris didn't realize is that he had been there for five nights. And this was now the sixth day in Alligator Alley. This is a picture of the road where he was shot 30 feet off of the road. This is the man who was accused of the crime, yet never charged and never spent a day in jail. Chris had decided that at a very young age, he had decided that he could choose to live his life as a victim of a horrible tragedy, angry, bitter, and broken, or he could choose to live his life as the recipient of amazing miracles from God himself. And that colored his life as this young man grew into a father himself. When he, 22 years after this incident, the police called him to let him know that they had found the killer, had visited him several times in a nursing home, and the killer finally confessed. And they asked Chris, would you like to meet this man so you can have some closure? Chris didn't hesitate. He thought, yeah, I need to meet him. When he went for the visit, at the point, at one point during the visit, The man who had shot and stabbed him and left him in Alligator Alley to be disposed of reached over, blind, emaciated, weighing 75 pounds on a one-foot frame, took Chris's hands and said, I'm sorry. And Chris said, I forgive you. And now there's nothing between us except a new friendship. So I want to come back and see you if that's okay so we can catch up on the last 22 years. There's the rock where he was found sitting by some passerbyers. And this is Chris with David, the man who shot and stabbed him, ministering to him in a nursing home. And David accepted the Lord as his Lord and Savior a few weeks after he had told Chris he was sorry. And he's in heaven because he repented and he believed in Jesus Christ. Now, this is a story of biblical proportions of forgiveness. But you know, David was raised, Chris was raised in a home where Christ was the center. And he learned by watching his parents forgive. So he was able, at a very young age, to exercise forgiveness. And he lived it until he walked face to face with the truth 22 years later. 
and everything that he said he lived for, he walked out in those few weeks. Some of us find it hard just to forgive each other before we go to bed at night. And I know that sometimes when Greg and I have disagreements, yes, we do, (laughs) I struggle with that. I bet there's other people in here that do too. Wow. Wow. That part wasn't wasn't scripted. <laughs> but it's it's so true. So true. The other thing that Jesus did to to show love to us, to act out love to us, is that he literally spent time with people and he desires to spend time with all of us, even today. In John chapter 14, he says, In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Some of you need to hear that. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will receive you unto myself. So that where I am, there you will be also. We need to get our minds around that in terms of spending time with, with Jesus. And Jesus' desire to spend time with us. Jesus literally stepped out of heaven, out of glory. Took away his, he, he put off his heavenly garments and stepped down into this earth so that ultimately he could spend time with each and every one of us. In glory. He's taken us back. We hear the gospel a lot of times. We know that God gave a son. But I'm talking about a perspective where, God, where Jesus himself literally wants to spend all of eternity with you. And he made a way to do exactly that. The gospels are full of other examples of of Jesus spending time in a very intimate way with with the people, with his people. Marietta and I probably spend more time together than any other couple I know. It's true. true. We work together. We spend time together. And we recognize that, that, yes, we spend time together. It's an act of love. We enjoy each other's company. There's no doubt about it. But we certainly need other things to help us through all that time that we spend together. And that's part of what we'll start talking about on Wednesday, April 2nd. What I learned as I grew in my relationship with Christ, that love isn't what my dad told me it was, someone to provide for me, nor was it what I thought it was, an emotion, but it's actionable, demonstrated in the things that we do. And Jesus is our pattern for that. So we take these areas that we've talked about today and first apply them in our homes, with our children, with our spouse. We put our love 
into action on a daily basis. What I would encourage every married couple to do is consider coming to the marriage sessions that we're going to be having here to strengthen your marriage, whether you're in a good spot or a bad spot right now. Amen. Um, We call it the Amp Amp It Up Marriage Transformation Series. The reason that we do that is because we do believe that God has an amazing plan for your marriage. He really does. You might have a great marriage already. But what we're going to do during this six-week session series is we're going to take away some of the cultural things that that may be not exactly right. And there's a lot of cultural things that we kind of have to get rid of. And we're going to push those away. And we're going to build from a foundation of what God tells us in his word about what love is and what forgiveness is. And what our roles and responsibilities are. And a whole bunch of other stuff as well. We're going to talk about how we communicate with each other. I want to, Shake and Karen have been through our class. And I, Shake, if you don't mind, if you could just come up here Would and maybe, maybe testify talk? real quick. Both of you, yeah, come on up. <laughs> now, why are you laughing? When Karen and I went through the class, he didn't tell you to come up here, he told me. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. When Karen and I went through the class, I, I honestly thought that we had a good marriage. There's nothing wrong with us. We don't have any issues. You know, we, we don't fight. We don't, you know... Any of the things that, that typically look like a bad marriage, we don't have any of those things. But as I got in the class, I realized that our communication was very poor. Because there were things that I had learned from a previous, you know, I've been married before. And I learned not to speak my voice and so what would happen is if we had something that i disagreed with i just didn't say anything and so we assumed okay you you, i didn't say anything i assume it just went away but how many can be honest and say that's still there that problem's still there that disagreement's still there and until you learn to talk about it and to discuss it and be honest with your spouse and say, I didn't agree with that. But I didn't know how to say it because I was afraid it would lead to an argument, which would lead to what I went through in the other marriage. Well, one of the great things I learned from this class with Marietta, and I'll be honest with you, with Marietta and Greg, I'd already purposed in my mind that we're going to go through it again. And I I believe it's kind of like the Bible. The marriage is something that you need to to read over and over and over and over again because you'll always find something new. When we went through the class with him, there were things that we didn't know, and we're still learning about each other. And I praise God for it. Now, it's not like I'm not saying, like, I was an alcoholic and, you know. (laughs) It's not that. Again, I adore my wife. 
But I want us to be a great example of a couple that lives under God's marriage plan. I want us to be a couple that people go, man, you know, how did you guys do that? And I can say, God has a plan for your life and for your marriage, and here's what it is. And I can explain it to them because I've been through it. So I would also encourage the men. I know you did. But I would encourage the men because, let's be honest, women will generally look at these things and see the need. But men generally go, you know, just like your leg was jacked up and you're laying on the ground crawling backwards, you know, oh, I got it. You don't. You don't have it. You can always use help. And you can always use more help. Amen? <laughs> I too was uh, uh, had learned to uh, not speak out things that were bothering me, just to keep the peace, you know. But they, it's like an undercurrent; it's there. So uh, Greg and Maria's class, you know, just told us how it just started to teach us how to uh, communicate and listen to one another and not be afraid to tackle those hard things, but in love. Because I, too, coming up, had a, a distorted view of love. You know, kids, little girls, you know, we want to get married, Cinderella, you know. <laughs> but that, that wasn't what love was. And life has shown me that. That's not what love is, true, true love. So, yeah, I do want to take your class again. It's almost like we need to do that again. <laughs> do that again. So thank you so much. And I encourage everyone to do that because Shake and I, we get along good, you know. But sometimes to the moon, you know. <laughs> Thank you. One, one question. How many guys know that there are multiple hangers? Did you know that? Did you all know that there are many different hangers, different size hangers, different color hangers? I didn't know that. So, yeah, we'll get on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> You know that we've all heard the statistics. Marriages are the same. Divorce rates are the same in the church, out of the church. And the truth is, it's actually a little better in the church. But really, our marriages are a reflection of our relationship with Christ. Do you see that? He's referred to as the the bridegroom. We're the bride. The church. We. The church is made up of us as individuals. Greg and I. All of you out there. And Greg and I have this fantastic, great marriage. He is my best friend. I'm not just saying that. We live that every single day. Even, But we do spend a lot of time together, and so sometimes, you know, we get on each other's nerves. And, and that's when we pull out the toolkit, and we know how to deal with those situations, and we can resolve them and still say, I love you, and mean it from our part. And we owe it to ourselves as Christians to have better marriages than the world because we are their pattern. We Amen. are their pattern. Amen. Preach it. Preach it. You're doing good. <laughs> Couldn't hold her hand because she's Italian and she starts slowing down. <laughs> she starts. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you hold both her hands, it's all over. 
<laughs> Okie dokie. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll be breaking out the toolkit here in a minute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's a good thing he has one. <laughs> so, do you want to do that? No. You, wanna, you don't? No. No? Well, I don't think so. Okay. All right. We're good. You know, I was telling Shake if you. I was telling Marietta during the the worship service that I think that Shake if you could and the worship team could come back up here and let's do that song Beautiful Things again. I think that there's some either some people in here, some number of people maybe, as we do this song again, that and I want to call the prayer ministry team down front. Um that need to really get an understanding of exactly what this song is all about. The, the fact that God can take things, maybe, it's, maybe it is your relationship, but God can take things and He can turn them around and He can make a beautiful thing out of something that you think is a wreck. So I want to call the prayer ministry team forward. I'm going to, Marietta and I will step down and turn it over to Pastor Allen, but as the worship team does that song again, I just want, I want, if, if you feel like you need prayer to step in to a situation or circumstance, if you need prayer for God to, to change something that you think is a wreck and to make it beautiful, I just encourage you to come on down and receive prayer for that this morning. And not, not just for that, but if you have any other prayer needs, if you need healing in your body, you know, can I just, I want to look at our young people. We have so many here today. You know, you can be the reconciler of your parents' marriage. You can be the reconciler in your home. It doesn't have to be somebody who's grown up and been through a bunch of stuff. You can actually make a difference in your parents' marriages for those who are married parents. And if you don't, you can still make a difference in the life of the parent that you're with at any given point.